This is Real Estate Rookie Show number 19. So trying to do stuff yourself in the beginning phases is really key. And other key I say is have close friends and family that are maybe into the construction world that can possibly come help you out in the beginning, give you some tips of how to start and uh, make sure you're on the right path. I am Ashley Kerr. And once again, Felipe Mejia is called out on his flexing. It's so funny because we try to close out the episode and Dave is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. before we end, Felipe, I've heard that you have little itty bitty tiny biceps. I got to see this. And I was like, why did Ashley start this trend? No, 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 that was Ryan. That was Ryan Dossie at our one show. If you guys haven't listened to that episode, um, go back to look for Ryan Dossie. We did two of them and I believe it was the first episode we did with him, I think. Where he called you out on your biceps. Uh, we're not talking about Felipe's biceps. Today, we're actually going to be talking to Arvi and Dave. So this is a couple that's now in uh, Nashville, and they are crushing it for sure in real estate investing. And you know what really warmed my heart is that they actually immigrated to this country seven years ago, and they're crushing it in real estate. I love that. I love to see the underdog just crushing it and killing it. So super proud about that. They talk a little bit about that at the very end of the show of kind of the obstacles that they've had to overcome. And RV, she actually started as the real estate investor. She found bigger pockets, got into it, and bought her her first flip. And she started doing it by herself and then kind of pulled Dave in, who already had uh, construction experience. And RV actually quit her. She had a part-time job after college, and she ended up quitting it four months into flipping. So, I mean, just that right there is amazing that she had that confidence and she was doing well that she is doing this full time. And that was just a year ago that she started, that she got her first flip under contract. Yeah, they're crushing it. They really are. I really like today's uh, voicemail question. You know what? I'm not going to spill it out, but just make sure that you listen to today's voicemail question. It's really, really good and really informative the way they answered. And if you guys do have uh, any questions, you're always welcome to call in, leave us a voicemail at one 5 rookie and we might use yours on the show. Yeah, and don't forget to check out the show notes too at biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie 19. Um, we asked RV and Dave to give us some photos too of their before and after of the flips that they've done. And it's really funny. They started in Buffalo, which is where I'm from, and now they live in Nashville, where you're from. So that is just a really funny coincidence. I've gone ahead and, and challenged him to a basketball off because I think he played ball in Cadillac. <laughs> yeah. But people don't know that I'm like 5'8". So when I show up ready to hoop him up, he's going to laugh at me. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777.
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Welcome, RV and Dave. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's hear a little bit about you guys, how you met, and how you got into real estate. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you for having us. It's a pleasure being here. Um, I'm actually originally from Albania. It's a very small country in Europe. I moved here when I was 17, and I lived in Buffalo up to January when we moved to Nashville. Do you have uh, snow in Albania, or was the snow new to you? Yeah, yeah, definitely new, and especially not like that. I mean, I'd seen snow before, but Buffalo is just a different story. Right, yeah. (laughs) And what about you, Dave? Yeah, so I was born and raised in a small country as well, but not in Albania. This is uh, Suriname in South America. Born and raised there, moved here when I was 15, playing basketball on a basketball scholarship. And I moved to Buffalo, New York. That's where we met um, my freshman, my sophomore year in college. Very nice. So a big change for you in weather, big too. <laughs> I never, I've never seen snow before. So South America, do both of you guys speak Spanish? Mm. I do. Um, not because I was born or raised there. I just lived in Spain for a couple of years. So that's how I know. But Dave... I speak Dutch because, uh, yeah, that's my native language, Dutch. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. So your kids will be like trilingual. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be confused. Yeah. They'll be They'll very be confused. confused. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Arvi, tu español, si ¿sí, sí es bueno? Sí, sí, sí. Creo que sí, pero... No, that's awesome. That's awesome, guys. So, guys, tell us a little bit about your real estate journey. What got you into real estate? Why you started? What are you doing now? And, you know, how, how far back that goes? And give us a little bit how your background also plays into that. Okay. Yeah, so I actually, I mean, it doesn't go that far back. We were in college, um, just graduated. I was looking for jobs to try and see, you know, what I wanted to do. I studied business. I always thought of myself in the corporate world. And Dave here was in basketball, so completely different. Mm-hmm. But right after college, I was applying for jobs. And my dad actually still lives in Albania. And I was talking to him how I'm not getting anything. 
And he was like, well, why don't you look into real estate? And I said, well, what can I do in real estate? I don't have money. I don't have anything. And he's like, well, just Google some stuff, see what you can come up with. And since I started Googling, I guess I never looked back. I found all my answers <laughs> on uh, bigger pockets. <laughs> That's how I found, you know, just the beginning stuff like, okay, mm-hmm. people can do this with no money. So that's how it actually got started. And then um, once this, I was looking into it, I heard this, um, yeah, the seminar, I was in my car and I never listened to the radio, but for some reason this time, like the iTunes was not playing. So I heard this ad on the radio about a free seminar on real estate. We'll teach you everything you know. I went there and then they kind of upsell you on the three-day weekend. I paid (laughs) for that, right? I didn't know that was the case, but I paid for it and I went home and I hadn't told Dave anything. Nope. And at that point, that was like $400, but for a college, you know, in a college budget, that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. I came home from practice and all of a sudden she's like, yeah, I'm I'm going to the seminar. Okay, cool. Is it free? Said, no, it's uh, about four hundred dollars. So at that point, I was completely against it. You know, in college, every <laughs> every every dollar kind of counts in college, especially. I was completely against it. And to make it even better, she came home and she had some books with her. I'm like, oh, that's probably not included in the four hundred. Like, nope, yeah. it's not. And we <laughs> know as college we... students how much books cost too. Oh, exactly. Right. Yeah, that four hundred dollars could have paid for Raymond noodles for four <laughs> years of college. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> that's hilarious. No, and then what happened, Arby? So after then, I kept learning about it. I went to the seminar. I still had a million questions that I had unanswered. So I was reading as many books as I could, looking at as many videos or free information that I could. And then about what, eight or nine months later, I bought my first house to flip. Wow, that's wow. awesome. Congratulations. So how long ago was this that you bought the this first one? This was just last year, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay, so Dave, how did you get dragged into it then? <laughs> that's exactly what kind of happened. Because I was <laughs> I was so into basketball after college. I contemplated going professional, but I decided to stick around and try to do coaching. So I went to Florida and I coached for a prep school for about a year. And I was just noticing that she was really struggling when it comes to, came to the construction part, the renovation part. And I was always kind of hands-on when it comes to renovations, especially with my dad. He's pretty, like, he was probably kind of a handyman at, at certain times. So I decided, she kind of offered me, like, don't you want to help out with the construction part? Like, you can run the whole construction side and everything. And I said, why not? I'll give it a shot. Bro, so she I suckered left. you in, man. She suckered <laughs> you in, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I left that job, came to Cold Buffalo to finish some, a couple of rehabs <laughs> on, a, on, on, a, on that house. That's awesome. Yeah. So what has taken on since that first property? How have you guys grown, expanded since then? Yeah. So after that property, uh, we actually got another one and then we did that one and then we got another one. So on our first year, we did three flips. And then now actually we started doing our own marketing because back then I was just going through real estate agents. Um, I kind of wanted to have that security that they were helping me out. You know, they knew how to close and kind of giving me some guidance throughout the process in general. And then uh, once we moved here to Nashville, we started doing our own marketing. And I believe since February, when we started our marketing, we've done six deals so far. Awesome. And what are you doing? Direct to seller marketing, like flyers or? Yeah, yeah. We send out letters, pull out lists, and we send out letters to direct to sellers. That's interesting. What part of, of your business, RV, do you handle? And then Dave, what part of it do you handle? So I handle everything from doing the marketing, going to the meeting with the sellers and acquisitions, like making the offers, putting them under contract, 
And then, um, you know, once if we're going to flip it or wholesale it or, you know, whatever the exit strategy is, then Dave takes over. Yeah, so I basically handle all the the construction, the construction side of the the real estate world, basically from for RV. I handle when it comes to inspections and estimating rehab budgets. I also, besides from that, once because certain at certain times we don't have houses to flip, basically a rehab. So I deal with regular um, retail clients as well. So besides from RV's properties, I deal with regular retail clients and I deal with a lot of investors as well. So I handle all his subcontract uh, contractors and. Uh, as a newbie investor, how do you, Dave, handle the contracts? I mean, I guess you're not newbie anymore. You're, you're, you're yeah. grinding it out now, which is really cool. So kudos to you. But what are some tips that you have for our listeners when handling some you know, contractors? Some contractors, as investors, I had some notes down. As investors, there's a lot of theories behind it. Some investors don't like to pay at all until the job is complete. Some investors like to get 50%. I would advise uh, what we use is 25, 25, and the remainder, usually. Love it. For example, drywall. I give my sub because drywall is a really, it's a specific field. I'd rather sub it out to somebody that can get it done in three days. I give 25% of the contract when they start, 25% when uh, all the boards are hung and i usually give the remainder when it's ready for paint but i also usually especially if it's the first time i'm dealing with a contractor i always like take maybe 300 or 400 off for the last payment because there's always some touch-up drywall that needs to be done extra sanding needs to be done and that kind of gives you the guarantee that the contract is most likely going to come back because he wants the rest of that that's interesting i've i have a friend that what she does is she'll do, you know, if they finish early, she'll give them, you know, like $50 off per day. But if they finish late, she'll take off on her bill, you know, $25 per day. So do you do anything like that? Any kind of incentive for them to finish early where they get a bonus or where if they are delayed, they, you know, get mm-hmm. money taken off? Usually, no. So up to this point, I haven't. I had um, a couple of investors do that with me as well. Mm-hmm. However, as a, for, for me as a contractor, you're always going to come to that point where the contractors will probably charge you premium price for that. They're going to char- okay. charge you a higher price to get it done really on time that day um, because they want to make sure they get paid. Now, that's interesting because, you know, the way I do it in Nashville and, and we're, we're in the same neighborhood. But what I do with my contractors is we agree on a 33 and a third percent of the job as we're going. So let's say that they come in and they're going to hang three boards. I say, okay, when you finish the first board, I'll give you this amount. When you finish the next board, I'll give you this amount. When you're done with the job, I'll give you the rest of the 33rd yeah. and a third. And like you said, this keeps them coming back to make sure that they get paid because yeah. to them, it always feels like they're a little bit behind on payment and ahead on the job. So they're willing to come back and finish to get that next pull. So it's really cool the way that you do it with the 25 um, and then leaves a little bit extra on the end. So I think that you probably have a better process than even I do. I don't really tell them about the last part until that day comes because if if you build a relationship with them, they will definitely understand. If they're good contractors, you will notice the reaction. If they're like, oh no, I need it now. I need the whole thing. Then it's probably not going to work out. But if they guarantee, like, oh no problem, keep it. I'll be back for sure. Then you know for, for a fact that you found somewhat decent, a really good contractor. That's a really good point that if they're not putting up a big stink that they need that $300 right now, that probably means they're, you know, they're somewhat successful in their business that they can hold off on having that $300 until they finish the job. I want to kind of walk through because I'm doing my first big rehab where I'm trying to contract almost everything out. 
So I want to use this episode for my advantage. (laughs) What are some tests, some steps that you guys recommend from like start to finish? And I kind of want to go into detail. So when you're doing a rehab, what's the first step, like doing your due diligence and your permits? Can you kind of walk us through that? Okay, yeah, for the diligence, basically get a permit. That's just so important mm-hmm. just to get a get a, a general building permit, plumbing, electric, and usually HVAC. Get the permits because this kind of ensures you that, that the work is going to be done the right way. For example, on the latest project we're doing, not my best hire, the electrician failed the electric twice. And that set us back two weeks. Even yeah. though that set us back two weeks, I'm, I'm assured that it's done the right way. Mm-hmm. I guess from there, um, the second step is, so once you have the property, you did your due diligence and you got your permits, is to figure out the layout design and what you're going to demo, what you could keep from the project. So for example, I mean, especially if you're flipping, everybody likes open concept now. So you got to take into account, is the layout functional? Is it open concept? Would you and your family would want to live there? So we try to make it seem like, so if we can't live there, if we don't like it personally, then probably other people are not going to like it too. So we try to make all the rehabs as if they were for ourselves. And then we we choose on the design, you know, depending on the neighborhood price point of the property, how high end you're going to go, because you want to rehab good, but you also don't want to rehab over rehab and, you know, overspend on high end properties where the neighborhood is probably not calling Mm -hmm. for that. And then the third thing to this step is just demo um, are you going to completely gut the property? Are the doors maybe, can they be reused? So, which is what we did in our this last flip that yep. we're still working on. Are they, you know, just try to keep it because a lot of investors will just come and throw everything down and maybe not keep stuff that's good, but just saving the doors on this property saved me $2,000. Wow, that's awesome. When you do that step, do you have like a process, a checklist? Do you use some kind of workflow software to track all of this stuff? I mean, when you say I'm keeping those doors, how do you communicate that to your contractors so that they accidentally don't get painted or ripped down? Absolutely. So I usually write that I do the first walkthrough of the property and I have like an Excel spreadsheet or something on my hand. I use an iPad and I just go around and say, um, you know, take this wall down or take all of the drywall down here, keep these doors. And I, I mean, it's a little bit more detailed than what I'm saying it, but mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, I write it for every single room and the, just the total, the totality of the project. And then I had that spreadsheet over to Dave or whoever the contractor yeah. is that's doing the demo. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all on me. It's, that's really what it is. It's all on me. Um, basically what I do is the things that she wants to keep, like for example, doors or like a, maybe like a nice desk that's in there. I keep it in a certain room. Yeah. I keep it in like maybe in a closet, in a room, and I tell my contractor, every time when a subcontractor comes in, I walk them through the property and explain to them, like, this is, do not touch this. This is, this is we're keeping this. We're just making sure that you prove the point that they were keeping this. And we, the most important part is just keeping that communication, um, because even when we hire subs sometimes, they have their own subs, so the communication could get lost there. So we make sure that, you know, just... We just try to communicate at all times. That's really good. That's really smart because like you said, sometimes your contractor will have subs and communication is key to always have. I try to make it a point to stop by my properties at least two or three times a week because I want the subs to meet me as well and be comfortable with talking to me because at the end of the day, you can tell a contractor one thing 
but who's doing the job? And that's really important. Yeah. It's the sub. Sure, the contractor is responsible, but the sub's the one doing the work. At the end of the day, yeah. they're the ones on their hands and knees, you know, grinding it out. So you definitely want to have that communication. Did I miss the question? Uh, or maybe we just we just didn't ask, but how are you funding these deals? I mean, do you just have a super rich parent that funds all your money and, you know, you have a, a, a empty bucket to just grab as much as you want? Or, you know, how are you funding these deals? So we're going through private lenders, um, sometimes hard money when that's not you know, completely open. Like, for example, during the virus situation, the private lending was a bit more restricted. But most of them are through private money or hard money. Why would you say that a lot of new real estate investors are scared to take that leap of using hard money? I feel like we get that question all the time. Like, oh, I just can't get funding. But I go on bigger pockets and I can find 20 today that are like, you know, I got money to do. Like, wh- why is it so... Why is that such a taboo? Why is it so fearful to do that? I think I completely understand that part because even on my first property, I had that same fear. Well, most of these hard money lenders or even private money, they'll make you sign a personal guarantee. So you're kind of on the hook for everything that goes on. And plus, um, even for myself, I don't want to have a bad name. Like if something goes wrong and I don't pay them, you know, I never want to be in that position. So, I mean, that's a risk we take with every single property. It's not like, you know, you did on the first and let's say no more fears. That's a fear and a risk every single time. But as long as you're buying and have if you have all your systems in place, so that's why the systems are important. It kind of helps put that risk down so low to where it's, you know, almost nothing. Are your private lenders, are they involved in the process at all? Do they like to come in and see the house? I mean, we've talked about the due diligence. Do they come in and look at it with you? Do they ever have to approve, want to approve your layout or design? Or it's it's pretty much they trust you guys. You guys handle everything. Here's the money and you run with it. It would depend on the private lender. Um, so far, the ones I've worked with, they like to come in and we see that, you know, the rehab that I've estimated, it's somewhat in the ballpark of what they think it's going to cost. Because if I'm saying, oh, it's going to be 20000 for rehab, but, you know, it's a fold-out house, it's, there's some type of disconnection there. As far as the actual, like, design or layout or anything like that, I personally don't let them do that just because... I guess I just have more experience on, you know, the flipping side and I know what clients like because I've done it. They're mostly just on the investing or on the lending part. And honestly, most of the time I haven't had people say or lenders say that, you know, why don't you do this or why don't you do that? They kind of leave that up to the flipper. Yeah, that's great. I don't think I would want someone telling me what to do. It would kind of take away from being, you know, self-employed on your rehabs. But let's get back to what would be the next step then? Okay, so you've got demo, you've done your design, you've got your layout, you have your checklist. Let's bring in the, the contractors now. Do you use a general contractor, subs, and let's talk about the mechanics of the house. Yes, yeah, so um, usually there's two ways you can go with it. You can go with a subcontractor or you can go with a general contractor. It really all depends what the budget is. If you want to just be laid back and focus on more leads or focus on more properties, then yeah, a general contract is definitely the way to go. But if you want to be more hands-on and, and learning and, and seeing what the process is and how long it really takes and how, how they work. For example, if you want to learn how to do drywall or, or tie or stuff like that, I would definitely go with subs, uh, subcontractors. I mean, that way you kind of save some money as well and you learn, you learn more. And one thing we figure out with subs is it's it's harder to fire a general contractor than it is to fire subcontractors. So if somebody's not doing their job right, you know, you can just go directly to the drywall sub and say, sorry, man, this is not working out. But if it's a general contractor, 
it's just harder to do that in general because they have the whole project. Yeah, that's I I have also found that to be true. And personally, I only do sub work now. You know, growing up in the construction field, I I learned like you just said, subs are. I don't know, for some reason, generally a little bit easier to work with than just a contractor who has everything. Because if his electrician sucks, you can't fire his plumber because his plumber was still good. So, you know, out of curiosity, do you guys have your GC license and your real estate license? Because you guys would be a great team. So I don't have my real estate license. I was a uh, GC in Buffalo, New York. Although in Nashville right now, I have my home improvement license. I'm working on, yeah, uh, it's a little bit different, but I'm working on getting my GC license because in Nashville, in uh, Tennessee, you do have to study and pass a bunch of exams for that. Yeah, good for you, man. I would challenge you guys to do that because, you know, that potential is clearly there. You have the experience. I mean, I, I would hire you guys to do mine, you know? I mean, I think I think it's great what you guys are doing. So that's really, really cool. So, okay, so let's keep going. What's next on the list? What's what's next to getting that, that the next part of the deal done? It's the mechanicals and kind of inspecting before closing walls. I don't, do you want to expand on that more? It's basically, that gives you the assurance we talked about kind of the beginning. That gives you that assurance that the plumbing is done right. The plumbing electric is done. It's, it's so important and people don't understand, but this is probably the most important step to getting all these inspections done. The reason why we know that is because we've had that happen to us where we've closed walls in the past and then inspectors come back and say, well, you we didn't get an inspection and we thought we did. Or, you know, the sub that technically pulled the license, but he never did. Exactly. So that's why now we make sure, um, at least in Nashville, it's a bit easier. Um, you can actually apply and see online everything when they pull it. So you have that sh- extra assurance. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's let me let me be clear. This happened one time with electric, and I was not in the picture yet. She was doing the rehab, and I <laughs> was not my the name. Contract. He said, "Let I me was, clear I was my name." <laughs> <laughs> I was not the contract, and she gave me a call, and she said, "Yeah, we have to open up almost all the walls." Oh. Yeah, oh that's when he said, "All right, I'm coming." Um, this is it. This is it. <laughs> Do you guys have any tips for, are there certain things that when you are interviewing a contractor or he's quoting a job that just kind of turns you off from that contractor? Like for me, a couple of things I've noticed um, just from the few that I've hired is if they don't write things down and take measurements like that first day, I feel like that is like a huge red flag for me. I can already see Ashley handing them the measuring tape. Hey dude, (laughs) get this on paper. What are you doing? (laughs) And I, I just, is there anything like that that you guys just kind of look for in a contractor that is kind of a red flag as to not to hire them? Yeah, so usually for me as being a, being a contractor, I like to have time at the property. So if you walk me through the property, okay, cool, cool. You're not going to see me take measurements. I'm basically just listening to the idea, taking notes, mental pictures. But when it comes to actual like take putting the time in, let the contractor be. If the contractor, let's say he asks, well, can I get 10 minutes just to take measurements? And usually what a contractor would do, he'll take measurements, he'll take pictures. He might make a phone call. He might make a phone call to his plumber, electric, to electrician, to ask him some questions to clarify on stuff. That's interesting you say that because I'm actually the same way. Ashley probably wouldn't hire me then just based on what she's saying. I'm, I'm actually the same way. I like to walk around with, like I've had clients privately call me and, or, or, or reach out to me and just say, hey, Felipe, would you mind helping me build out two bedrooms downstairs? I'm like, yeah, for sure. I'll help you do that. And, and in our initial conversation, I like to walk around with the client just listening to understand what they want to say, not necessarily reply. You know, I'm just there as like, okay, soaking it all in. What is their vision for this? 
And then I, I don't destroy their vision, but I say, that's probably not going to happen. This is more like reality. Dave, would you say that's probably pretty that is, accurate? That is very true. That especially, Outlandish <laughs> vision. Especially when they give you the budget and they tell you, I want this, this, this. I'm like, eh, nah. Really you go get a closet, maybe. <laughs> Well, I need to clear my name here. And when I say that they don't take measurements or, you know, write things down, they still are giving me an estimate. Yeah. So I feel like it's hard to give an estimate when they didn't write down exactly what I wanted. And actually the worst time that happened, the guy forgot to put flooring into his estimate. Um, so like what? right there's a big red flag. Like oh, that's the flooring terrible. is like one of the easiest things, but he didn't measure and he just forgot to add it in. And he told me he accidentally sent someone else's bid to me, but it was like, I had a custom bar, like sliding mm -hmm. barn door. Like how many other bids yeah. had that for him? But so well, that's at funny. that point, yeah, that's probably not a good, I guess, um, or contractor. Yeah. 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 I didn't go with him. Okay. So now that we have closed up the walls, uh, what's next? So once you close that, I mean, it just comes down to painting, like the finishing touches, like painting, uh, you're putting on the kitchen, like closing in the bathrooms, tile, flooring and all that stuff so at that point so in my personal like projects i like to have all that already figured out before we get to that point so there's no hangups like if they get to the point and i don't have the paint color picked out or the kitchen cabinets are not ready and all that stuff then that that just puts us back on the rehab especially on flips you know that's time is money the sooner you're done the more you're probably going to make so i usually um when i mentioned earlier when i did the initial walkthrough I already have an idea of what I'm going to paint, what colors I'm going to choose, and what's the overall design is going to be on the property. And for me, it's a, that's a tip to anybody that's um, basically, if you're doing it yourself or you're hiring contractors, I would, what I usually like to do is I would like to walk around the property, especially after drywall, after paint. I like to walk around with a, a piece of tape, a blue tape, and I just mark like, oh, this trim piece needs to be replaced and this there needs to be sanded down a little bit more. I just like to do that. And after that, don't be scared of anybody that do, is doing it themselves. Don't be scared to spend a little bit more money on material, especially when it comes to trim or flooring. Like if it's not done right, if it has too many gaps, or too much caulking, it's 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 gonna ruin the whole thing. You know, people are gonna walk in if you're trying to sell the house. People are gonna walk in. It's like, oh, that's not really done professionally. What what else is not done professionally in the house? That's that's key right there, Dave. I'm so glad you said that. So I've flipped a couple of properties in my days. <sighs> no, I'm just kidding. But, but 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 it's true. And you know, even more than just the seller, I'm more scared of the inspector. If mm -hmm. the inspector comes in and finds one thing, he's going to dig into that even further, right? right? So if you can't get the basics down, you know, having little things like having a level light in the bathroom or, you know, like you said, is is there too much caulking on the, you know, on certain pieces or, or, or doors, you know, a little rougher than they should be? Mm -hmm. They're going to be like, well, I wonder what else they, they cut mm -hmm. corners on, right? So I, I love that you said that. I think that's really key. People need to listen to that part again. It's in the details because, you know, like I said, more than just the buyer of the property, you're going to flip it to it's the inspector who's going to come in and if he finds one thing man he's going to go through it i've I, i'll never forget i saw an inspector one time he said that he had he had noticed that the door to get to the upstairs attic wasn't enough insulation on it so what he did was he brought in this like measuring thing and checked all the walls to make sure that all the insulation was the right way because you know how insulation has a certain way that you have to put it in. So he he went through and like destroyed this guy's flip and he said, All your insulation's wrong. Lost the seller. 
But it was all because he didn't put the insulation back on the uh, on the covering to get to the attic. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? The attic door yeah. and it has mm-hmm. insulation on top. So yep. apparently the insulation wasn't put back. And he was like, you're getting too much heat. You know what? Let's just go ahead and check all the walls. <laughs> Ouch. And it's not even the inspection. It's your your name, too. Your brand name. I yeah. mean, oh, yeah, word sure. of mouth and referrals are one of the biggest assets you can have. And you want them to be good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And we've had, so we've had that happen, too, with inspectors. Um, one of our properties, there was a little bit of mold in the basement, especially in Buffalo, where, you know, you get the basement. Then it was just a little bit of mold that we could have fixed. And he was like, well, this is probably all mold in the whole house. And the buyers backed out. So an inspector can really make or break your buyer. They have a 100%. lot of power into the buyer. And especially and you, something with mold too, where yeah. it could just be one little area, but someone can blow it up though. Well, it could be in the whole house. You don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Better to take care of it sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what about like the finishing touches? So we've got, you know, th- like the little things you'd go through, do your walkthrough. So you have contractors come back and then take care of those things. And then do you do one last final walkthrough together? Yeah, absolutely. So our last, our last walkthrough, or I guess our last step is um, once everything comes together, are we going to stage it? Are we like, is it on the price point where we stage it? Are we going to go with a professional stager or maybe stage it ourselves? I've done before in properties where a little trick I learned actually through bigger pockets discussions that people were staging it through rent, rent a center. You can oh, go really? Oh, that. wow. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I did on my first flips. I said, you know, this is great. I can go in because you can rent TVs, uh, washer and dryers if you wanted to you know, pictures, couches, everything from there. Mm-hmm. So I, that's what I did on my first flips. I staged them with a rent center. I went there, I picked everything out that I wanted. They come delivered and set everything up for you. And then in a month or, you know, whatever, however long you want to keep them for, they come and take everything back. That's a really cool hack. I, I've never thought about that. Like um, Somebody <laughs> should hashtag that, like, you know, hashtag rent center hack because... Yeah, I mean, I've heard that you can make an extra five or 10 G's just by visually showing somebody what the layout looks like. Because a lot of people don't, one, a lot of people don't have the vision that you might have. But two, there's a ton of -of out-of-state investors investing in Nashville. And if they have pictures of a beautifully furnished home, they're going to be more prone to buy that than just the empty gray walls, white baseboard type of house, you know? So that's a really cool hack. I never thought about that. I'm going to have to do that. Now, I'd be really upset if I was the guy having to deliver the furniture and pick it back up in 30 days. <laughs> yeah. But when I went to the rent centers, I was like, listen, I'm a flipper. I see she's like, oh, yeah, we do this all the time for flippers. So I was like, oh, oh, really? Yeah. So they know they yeah. know this concept already. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there you have go. you ever done the online staging where it's just the pictures? We have not. I know a lot of investors that have had a lot of success with that. And I think we're going to try mm-hmm. that on our next flips. It is cheaper than going through the even rent-a-center, you know, or doing it for a professional stager. And they look great. I've seen pictures that they just look like, you know, the furniture is actually there. Now, when it's time to sell, you've got it staged. Do you guys do for sale by owner or do you have a realtor that you work with? No, we usually just uh, list it with the realtor. It's just quicker and easier. And it just takes one step off or, you know, one one thing off my shoulder, basically. Mm-hmm. And you just get way more exposure. I guess you can try to sell yourself, but we just we just prefer to go with realtors. That's one easy thing to outsource. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. 
RV, Dave, what are what are some tips and tricks that you would give to people that are listening right now that are like newbie investors, that they're ready to, to do a rehab? It's on a budget. They're a little nervous about going in. It's their very first one. What are some tips and tricks that you would give them so that they don't make the same mistakes that maybe we've all made, right? So let's add some value to our listeners. What are some tricks that you would say, guys, you got to do this? And you know, I'm going to go through the list real quick and then see if you can add just whatever you can think of. But we went through due diligence and permits. We said mm-hmm. layout, design, and demo, the mechanicals and the inspections, closing up the walls, kitchen, paint, flooring, finishing touches, punch list, and then Dave running around with tape, tagging stuff that he doesn't like. <laughs> so on top of that, what would you say, hey guys, you got to do this? I guess. So there, there's some investors that go all the way out and get a retail inspection done before they even put it on the market. We haven't felt the need to do that, but if you're really nervous or if you even wanted to check on your contractors, you know, as a further step, you can absolutely do that. What I personally did in the beginning before I even bought the flips, I would get, I would pay an inspector and I would walk through with him and kind of basically learn everything that they were pointing out at and, you know, he would tell me, well, this is not right. And I would ask, why, why is it not right? Like what was going on there? A lot of it is just going to be through the experience as well. So the most important thing is just getting that first step and, you know. For renovations, I would say try to do stuff yourself in the beginning. In the beginning phases, try to do certain stuff yourself. You're going to fail. You're going to, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, you're going to fail miserably at point that you're going to feel like you don't want to do this anymore. But that's really part of it. Okay. If you don't put the work into it you won't realize like how much how hard it is to do certain things like when when people get quotes for let's say drywall anything like that or putting in tile and a lot of people a lot of clients are like oh it's just putting in tile no it's not like it's not just putting in tile it's not just putting in drywall so trying to do stuff yourself in the beginning phases is really key and other key i i say is have close friends and family that are maybe into the construction world that can possibly come help you out in the beginning, give you some tips of how to start and uh, make sure you're on the right path. Okay, cool. I love that. You know, giving, giving some confidence to some of those newbies before we transition into the rookie deal that you, that we, that we'd want to talk a little bit about. Let me ask you this. What advice would you give to brand new listeners or brand new people in real estate that are like, okay, I'm going to go hard money. I know that I can do this. How would you advise them to talk to those lenders? Because I feel like that's like hard money lending or private money is all about relationship building or feeling confident. So what would you tell our listeners? Say, hey guys, these are some key tips and tricks when you're out there, uh, you know, recruiting money, if you will, for your deal. What would you say? So I'll tell you what I did, and it worked great with me uh, when I hired my my first private lender. And then we were kind of both interviewing each other because he wants to make sure I'm right, but I also want to make sure that he's right for me. I made a packet of just kind of introducing myself and my business and what my goals are for the business and you know where I see myself in maybe a year or two or I also wrote down pretty much everything that the flip needs. So he could see, like when I showed up, we actually had like a lunch meeting. I showed up, I told him, you know, listen, I brought this thing. It just explains a little bit more about me and, you know, what I'm trying to do with the flip. And he was just like, oh, wow, this is great. I've never had anybody do this. And we ended up working together. So that that's just another way of adding confidence. And, you know, you may be new, but you're, you're showing them that you are doing your due diligence, that you have a system in place and you're going to try to minimize risk as much as you can. I love that because I've done the same thing before. (laughs) And like now you probably include your past deals in it too, right? Yeah. The the more information you can provide, the better for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
And Dave, are you involved in the, the money part at all? Or that's RV handles not, that? Not really. I tend yeah. to, sometimes she kind of uses me because sometimes all of a sudden I'm <laughs> there with an investor. I'm like, wait, we didn't schedule this. And I have to walk them through like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. And make yeah, them sure yeah. I'm like, this is going to be something nice, like boost some confidence in them. But that's, yeah. <laughs> the hype guy. It, yeah. <laughs> seems like RV okay. just keeps dragging you into meetings and yeah. deals and, and, and real estate. <laughs> well, look, man, when you get your Ferrari or your Tesla or whatever your dream car is, you're not going to feel like you got dragged in anymore. So stick in there, man. It's worth exactly. it. Are you guys <laughs> doing hilarious. this full time now for the past year? It's been full time. You don't have any other jobs right now? No, but even when I started, this was full time. I actually had a part time job when I first started. And then about four months into the, the whole investing thing, I just dropped it and we've been doing this. Wow, it's so cool. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Okay, well, let's break into your rookie deal that you guys want to share with us. Where was this deal? Was this in Buffalo or Nashville? So I'm actually going to talk about one in Buffalo. Uh, This was a duplex. It had been listed on the MLS for probably six months and nobody had even touched it and you know it would expire and then come back on the market it was in an amazing location like right downtown buffalo walking distance to everything and 
it just needed a lot of work, which is why people, I guess, didn't want to give it the time of the day. And it used to be a triplex, and then they had it taken down into a single family at this point. So I knew that the only way to make that deal work was if I turned it into a duplex. So before we even put an offer in, I was doing my due diligence. I went to the city and I asked, you know, about this property, if it could be turned into a duplex. And they said, yeah, absolutely. I don't see a problem with it. Um, so they, I, I believe they had it listed for 99. We, I got it under contract and bought it for 90. Obviously, we put a lot of work into it. We put, I believe, it was it eighty-five to ninety thousand? Eighty-five to ninety. When you walk to the place, when you walk through this place, when I first walked through this place, I told her no. Yeah. I told her no. <laughs> I saw so many. <laughs> I saw so many problems. Like no, that's not do this one. Yeah, but at that point, I had made up my mind, and what? I just really believed in the location of that property. Mm-hmm. So that's that's. Why. She already she already signed it. I walked through the property and I was like, no, I'm not I was waiting it. for that. I was and, waiting for actually, babe, signed. it's already it there. there. Yeah, it was already there. On one of our uh, shows, I think it was maybe two or three weeks ago, we had a lease on and she said, you, you can take the crap out of the house, but you can't take the house out of the crap. Like, you know, yeah. saying the location is key. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what is your first deal, second deal? Third? This is my third. Third deal? Okay. So what was the next step after you... Uh, Signed your life away. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all's life. Y'all's in the South. (laughs) Y'all's life away. Right. So we finished it. Uh, I originally thought the rehab was going to take three months. It actually took us five months to Mm -hmm. complete the whole thing. And that's why I leave the construction site to him because I'm not good at the rehabbing part. So, uh, yeah, so we we rehabbed it and we actually refinanced out of it as a commercial loan. We were originally just going to keep it as a rental, but at that point we decided you know we're already here why why not house half this thing it's we love the location you know it's right there so let's just house hack it so that's what we did up until the point that we moved to nashville which was in january and since then we've been renting out both parts or both sides and uh we cash flow it really good i I just our net cash flow on this property is like a thousand dollars wow that's awesome that's great nice dave have you have you learned to trust Harvey now, or, or are we still kind of hanging out? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's getting it's getting better. It's getting Is it better. getting better. Yeah, it's. She seems like she's crushing it, man. You, you might you might want to you might want to follow that one, buddy. Know, you might want to follow it through. She seems like I got I got I got to keep her on the toes, so I can't give her all the confidence. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so when you guys purchased this, you used private money mm-hmm. for the deal, and you used that for the rehab too. Yes, correct. And then did you refinance into long-term financing? And what did that refinance process look like? So it was just a long-term fin- a refinancing. At that point, we hadn't decided to house hack it. So I'm glad we didn't go that, you know, the FHA side. Um, so we just got a commercial loan. It's a, it's on our business name. So we just got a commercial loan on it for, you know, 30-year fixed. Um, I forget what the rate is, <laughs> to be honest with you. But yeah, so it's just a fixed uh, 30-year. Great, great. Yeah. And then what if someone wanted to kind of recreate that same deal? What are some, can you kind of reverse engineer it for us as to, you know, what advice and tips can you give to someone to kind of find, you know, a a duplex like that or single family and turn it into a duplex? So the first thing I would say is before you even put an offer in it, make sure that it can be turned into a duplex because the zoning is different everywhere. When I went to get my, uh, to ask for that, you know, that street was, could be turned into a duplex, but then the street over cannot. 
and it was the same street name, but it was just, you know, across the other side. So that's super important to, if you have a vision of rezoning certain properties or land, you know, whatever you're buying, you got to make sure beforehand, because if you buy it and then they tell you no, then it's going to break your deal, basically your whole vision. And who is they? Who, who did you go to? Do, is the building inspector, the city clerk, the tax assessor? Who do you go to to ask, uh, ask about um, that? That's a really good question. I went to the city, city of Buffalo, I guess, when I was there. And it was the build or the inspector and the zoning mm-hmm. um, office. So like the code enforcement go, officer? Yeah. So once you go over there, they yeah. kind of redirect you. Okay, this is the best person for you to talk to. Because, um, I mean, at that point, I didn't know how to do any right? of this. <laughs> That was a learning experience for me too. I just went there and, you know, the front desk person, you know, they just guided me in the right direction. And that's a good point is you didn't know. So you just went and asked and look at you found out the information. Sometimes all you have to do is start somewhere. You're probably going to go back a couple of times because you're probably going to miss some documents, but that's in a pro- mm-hmm. and they're not always a nice um, in that setting, that was like, okay, you're here for what? Like, they're going to be annoying about it a little bit sometimes, but you just have to do it. But it seems like it was worth it for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's move on to the next section of our show. And this is probably one of my favorites. This is called the MVP. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. So, and this part, we want to know about a key player on your team. This could be an agent, lender, handyman, deal finder, your partner, whatever the case may be. Who is an MVP in your real estate journey that you would say, man, it would be a lot harder to do this if this person wasn't on our team. So who would you say that is? So when I first started, I got to give it to my agent. Um, She had a lot of experience with working with investors. She knew a lot of contractors. So she was just really knowledgeable in that part. So, and she helped me find the good deals too. We walked through so many properties together and she would be the one to tell me, listen, this is not the greatest area and it's probably not going to give you the greatest return. Let's try to find something else. So having somebody, especially when you just started to kind of give you that feedback, it's, it was super important to me and definitely helped me a lot to kind of get my bases right so I can grow later. And how did you find her? So she was actually through a referral or referral. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, when I was in college, my, uh, my career advisor, actually, her husband was an inspect- inspector, a home inspector. So I went to her because I knew that before. And I said, listen, this is what I'm trying to do. She's like, yeah, feel free to you know, call him, talk to him. So I did. And then when I talked to him, he said, do you have an agent? I said, no, you know, I'm just still trying to get started. He's like, well, I have a great referral for you. So I, that's like the networking and talking to people about what you're doing. It's always key. I found in this business. Mm -hmm. How do you, uh, uh, well, let me, let me give you a two part question. How do you manage communication with your MVP to continue to have deal flow running through? And then how do they get paid? So in my case, I guess as an agent, they were, we like on the MLS, you can set up a search on certain criteria that you're interested in buying from. So she would set up a search for me. And every, every time that I saw a house that, you know, could fit my criteria, we would go ahead and take a look at it, you know, run it 
walk through it together and all that stuff. And then as an agent, they'll just get paid when we close on the deal. And Dave, would you say that the realtor is your uh, MVP too? Uh, not, or not is it RV finding all the good deals doing the acquisition? <laughs> <laughs> but for me, um, I had a mentor. I had from it for the construction side. I had a mentor in Buffalo, somebody that kind of guide me through it, the running construction business and um, actually recognizing um, good subs, honestly. And I didn't pay him. I didn't pay him, but I added some value. I was always kind of there if he needed me, like, Dave, I need an extra hand at a job site today. Can you come help? And I basically work for free. And some people might not do that because they think you're a business owner. But I took that chance because he was teaching me so much. Um, I figured the best way I didn't have that much capital to spend. I'm just like a mentor because that can get expensive. Mentors Mm -hmm. in any profession get expensive. So I decided just to, to add some value. And sometimes the best mentors are the ones that, that aren't paid. I mean, yes, there are great paid mentors, but you build that personal, you have that personal relationship with each other. And that's why it works because you're helping each other and exactly. you know, there, there doesn't need to be a cost associated with that. That's great. Well, thank you guys for sharing. And if anyone wants to learn more information about the MVPs this week, you can go to biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie 19. Yeah. And then just a reminder, I think on our last episode, the young gentleman said he would fly out to go talk to his mentor. Um, You know, speaking about what Dave's talking about, you know, he would fly out when he had an important question that he wanted to talk about with his mentor because he valued his mentor's time that much. So no, I don't think working for free for your mentor is 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 a negative thing at all. If you don't have finance, or if or if that's the only way that you can add value, you know, I feel like a lot of times people are like, oh, well, I got to pay for a mentor, and that's that's just not true. If you can add value to your mentor, you know, you're going to have a great relationship with that person. Anyone who wants to add value to me or to anyone, you know, that's going to most of the time is probably more valuable than money. Most of your mentors have money. What they don't have is the time anymore. So they need they need that. They need your time. Yeah. yeah. So Dave, when you fly up to visit your uh, mentor, let me know so I can hire you for a few jobs. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to the rookie request line. Uh, this is where we have our listeners call in and ask a question and we'll have you guys answer it. If anyone else would like to call in, you can leave us a voicemail at one 5 rookie And this one is from Brendan. Hey, my name's Brendan York. I just have a question for you about direct mail marketing. Basically, how does it work? I went out and I was writing letters and leaving them on people's door, but that would take me all day and I'd maybe do 100, 200. I wanted to see maybe how you could do it online or off like a database where you can get people's addresses. I kind of want to jump into how exactly you would start and go about doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we do. Um, I pull the list online and I hire a company to do all the writing for me. When I first started out, I was actually handwriting myself to a couple hundred a month, but it's just not scalable. Like I started to not have time with flips going on and all that. So it was just best to hire it out. So I guess my tip would be look into your county records, wherever you are, like in Nashville, Buffalo, you know, wherever, look into your county records to pull lists from there. That's pretty much a free way to pull them so you don't have to spend any money. There's also companies that sell you the list. Um, I think Listability or list of source is one of them as well. So I would just pull them from there. You can go put your criteria, like you need seniors with equity or 
you know, whatever the criteria is that you're trying to go after, you can just pull it from there. And honestly, the best thing to do is just hire a direct mail company to do that for you because Mm -hmm. it is just so worth the money. Yeah, I agree. And then it's always important to hire a professional in your field because, you know, you already have certain things that you're focusing on, right? Dave's focusing on construction. RV, you're focusing on acquisition and getting financing and and making sure the property is where it needs to be. The last thing you want to do is go home and write a hundred letters, right? Like, so like, what are you good at? Do that and leverage everything else. And that's going to make you super successful in your business. And I think you guys are crushing that for sure. Um, so kudos to you guys. I'd, I'd love to come visit one of your flips and kind of, you know, steal some ideas. So, uh, that'd be, that'd be really cool. We should, we should do that one day. I have, uh, we have one going on right now, actually. So, uh, might as well. Let's go. I'll be back in Nashville in a week. What's up? All right. Let's get it. Let's do it. All right. Hey, guys. So just to kind of wrap this up, we do have a little bit of a a fun here. We like to ask you three or four questions to kind of get to know you a little bit better. Is that okay with you guys? Are you ready for that? I have a question for you, though. Like, there's a rumor going around that you have, like, small biceps or something. Like, it's... Is that like something I heard about him? I'm not. Where are you at, Dave? Where are you at, bro? All the gyms are closed. I can't compete right now. Harvey, put him up, big dog. Put him up. What do you got there? No, I got. I got a little bit. Okay, you win. You win. You win. No, the last gentleman. Okay, now it's personal. The last gentleman on our show was like in a in a military school, and he he posted it up, and I was like, Lord, let me. Let me. I sunk down in my chair. This guy filled up both like sides. We did the selfie for Instagram and you guys. We got to take an Instagram picture with you guys as well. That's hilarious. I love that. I can't believe I just got called out on that. Ashley, I hate you. By the way. So now the the new thing is people aren't going to want to be the guest to talk about real estate. They'll just want to come on and have a flex off with (laughs) Felicia. That's hilarious. Okay, so let's talk about what's a bucket list item that you guys both would like to cross off doesn't have to be the same thing that you have together, separate things. I personally, it's on my bucket list to go skydiving. I'm yeah. really scared to do it, but it's like one thing that I think I can do. <laughs> <laughs> um, personally, um, I just I just want a Range Rover, man. It's, it's I mean, she, she always talks to me about like, what car do you want in the future when we become millionaires and stuff like that? I'm like, I just want a Range Rover. That's the only car I want. That's the only car I just, I just want a Range Rover. And I love how you say when we become millionaires. Come on, RV. Yes, RV and Dave, you're speaking it into existence. I love that. When we become, you have that belief. That's awesome. So let me let me jump to the next question, and this comes from a more personal level, from the heart. Uh, You know, my family immigrated to this country as well, and you know, we've gotten a lot of pushback in the past and all that. We've overcome that, um, you know, in in everything that we do. And I was just wondering, you know, both of you guys said that you immigrated to this country and it it seems like just not too long ago, what obstacles have you had to overcome and what, you know, what advice would you give to other immigrated investors as to how to push through those? Oh my gosh, we had so many, many. accounts. I guess the first thing would be a language barrier. We, in our countries, at least we were grown with the English being as a sacred language. So it was kind of easier for us. On our parents' base, it wasn't as easy. My dad, for example, he doesn't really speak it that well, but he can still make his way, you know, through through America and still be fine. But that was the first thing. I guess from there is just kind of fitting in. Our cultures are so different and it was hard for me the first year. I didn't have any friends. I was like a loner in high school because I just couldn't make any friends. I didn't know how to fit in because it was so different from there. I guess just getting into college, um, 
just I don't know. It was, it's just, was yours. This the for for international international when you come over. I moved here when I was fifteen by myself. Basically, I took I took the chance to come here and to eventually create a better better situation for me and my family and for my kids that's the ultimate goal and i think that we should always keep that in mind especially international that there's an extra motivation right. um even though you have extra motivation it's it's the most important thing to adapt like if you don't if i haven't adapted to becoming a salesperson or becoming a contractor it's it wouldn't it wouldn't work out for me i would not be uh, in this in this situation right now I, I love that because one of the things that i had to get accustomed to was you know, and I was born and raised in Nashville, but mm-hmm. growing up with a Latino family, I, I still had the culture and relevances that I learned with my family. But then I also had to learn the customs and cultures of uh, of, of Nashville, and it was hard because, like, let's say that I was born in that, Na- or let's say that I was American and born in Nashville here, and, and and then my parents were were had the customs of here. Then I only had one customs to learn, right? But for example, you meet a Latino family, you're given a kiss on the cheek. You meet someone else outside, you're doing a handshake. And I know that sounds so simple, but that's another thing that you have to think about. Okay, who am I meeting? What is their culture? How do I adapt? Right. So I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. For example, another thing in our culture, you know, there's no such thing as contracts. Everything is based on a handshake and your last name means everything. Oh, yeah. that's the Mejias. They do this, right? Like that last name is more honorable than a contract on paper. But, but here everything is contract and everyone's out to sue you or or try to get one over on you. So like that was a lot different as well. You know, I don't say this a lot on the show and, and I don't give this advice to a lot of people, but a lot of my Latino subs, there's nothing on paper. We meet at the job site, we shake hands, we agree on something and I've yet to have one, you know, screw me over on that because their name is more respected than, Mm -hmm. than just a piece of contract. So so I get it. I mean, I get what you're saying. And we completely get where you're coming from. Actually, I would say probably all of them, all uh-huh. of ourselves are Latinos too. Right. That's where we see ourselves more <laughs> because even like the cultures that you, all the things that you just mentioned, they relate completely to our cultures. And actually, Romania is not one uh, one kiss on the cheek; is two kisses. And whenever my family or Day would meet my family, he's always confused. I'm like, okay, which one? still like it though. <laughs> I'm not gonna say no to them. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for sharing that with us. I appreciate that. Okay. And I promise you that inspire. question was not on the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it can inspire some other people too that are wanting to get into real estate and have some obstacles that if you guys can do it, so can they. Uh, So thank you for sharing. When you guys were kids, what did you want to be when you grew up? Probably wasn't a real estate investor. No, absolutely not. I personally always saw myself as like, you know, a CEO and a corporate, you know, like that type of stuff. For me, uh, I I was trying to be a basketball player. I was just trying to go pro. Honestly, that was my main goal. Uh, after that, I'm good at drawing too. I wanted to become an architect, architect, but couldn't really afford that that profession. So I, I stick with basketball. <laughs> well, you're designing houses, so you're doing the fun part of architect. You don't have to do all the actual drawing. <laughs> Dave, you keep talking about basketball, man. Look, I'm in Nashville. We can, we can, we can, we can get to a park, bro. We what? can play some. We can play some game one. Down. See you you sure? I am. <laughs> okay, because I like to hoop, man. I like to hoop. Do you know yeah. NAC over in Antioch? Huh? Do you know NAC over in Antioch? I heard of it. I heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we let's go right. hoop. I got you. Right. 
<laughs> I love it. No, you guys are awesome, man. I love this. This is probably going to be another one of my favorite podcast episodes. But um, for the last question, we have a little bit of rookie hazing. Now, we'll help you out here a little bit. What is your guilty pleasure song? You know, do you, would you like to sing to us a little bit of that song as well? What Ain't do you no got? mountain high enough. Come we on. sing that. We sing that song sometimes during um, rehabs, <laughs> flips, and stuff like that when it's not going well. So here That's we go. That's so you funny ready? because we just had that too. So it else just said that. That's really funny. Go for it. Go Is for it. Yeah. Ain't no mountain. Come on. You're not gonna sing. <laughs> I cannot do this. I'm not singing. She. Dave. No. Let's go, bro. I got you. <laughs> Ain't, no Ain't no mountain high, high, high enough. enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough. Come on, I don't come on. Oh, uh, you left Ashley by yourself. That's hilarious. I love that. <laughs> RV, what about you? Okay. What's your favorite song? Yeah. I'm going to stick to that because trust me, you didn't know when you hear me sing. <laughs> so that, that was keeping it that for this episode. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. And we're going to put a lot of this information in the show notes. We'll add links. Maybe you guys can even give us a couple before and after pictures of uh, some of your flips we can put in the show notes too. You can find out more information at biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie 19. And do you guys want to, before we end this, can you tell everyone where to find some more information about you guys if they want to connect with you? Absolutely. You can find me on Instagram. It's rv.karkanji, and that's C-A-R-K-A-N-J-I. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Dave dot, and my last name, A-R-L-A-U-D. Getting well, dunked thank you guys up so much for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Ashley at Wealth for Rentals, and he's Felipe at Felipe Mejia, R-E-I. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Search Real Estate Rookie, and you'll be able to find us. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.